Welcome to Rebecca Sounds Reveille. What a show have I got for you today because I'm going to take you back a little bit. In fact, I, without wanting to disclose my age, I'm going to tell you that this is taking me back to my childhood. And you know what? This is even going to take you back to your childhood because some of the stuff that you might be thinking about that I will share with you in a minute will appear in your household every year. In fact, the guest with me today has been, well, he's been in The Toy with Richard Pryor, and every year he reaches millions of households at Christmas time in A Christmas Story. Yes, he is known as Flick. That is his character, and you know what? I've got to tell you, if you're not even sure with what some of the characters' names are, you might be familiar with their mannerisms. How about the kid who stuck his tongue to the pole? Okay, so that's just a little bit about those two films. But there's more that my guest has done. Yes, he has. He has an extensive background in acting and much more. In fact, you're going to find that some of the things that he's even currently doing are absolutely fascinating. And I'm going to let him share some of the things that he's done on his journey since his childhood acting career. In fact, we'll even talk a little bit about baseball training um, or baseball trading cards. And I don't know if you even remember some of those things with that little stick of gum. Uh, we keep talking about things sticking, don't we? Sticking to poles. And anyway, without any further ado, my guest today is actor Scott Schwartz, welcome to the show. Thank you, Rebecca. I am absolutely excited that you are here because I have, oh gosh, I've had you in my home year after year after year, and I have seen you in so many different films and things that you've been doing, and I've grown up with you, and this is an honor and a privilege to have you here today. I'm really excited. Tell me yeah. how you started, and how did you get into childhood acting to begin with? I was going to a film club with my dad. We lived in New Jersey, and every Saturday we would go into this film club, and after being there a couple years, one of the guys that was also a member came over to me, and he said, you know, you're very outgoing, and I'm going to produce a commercial for Yoohoo Chocolate Drink, and I think you'd be great at it, and we're going to shoot it in Miami Beach, and you get a trip down there for a couple days, and it was like, okay, sounded like fun. I always like movies and TV stuff anyway. Um, wasn't something that I thought I would ever go into, you know, uh, started doing that, did that. And he, afterwards he was like, you're great. You got to keep going. So then I met a casting director. She got me to agents and the fun and game started. How interesting is that? I mean, and how were your parents? I mean, were they kind of skeptical or did they think, okay, man, this is really awesome. Let's rock and roll with this. Uh, the guy that, that started us off, you know, that started me off, he was, you know, sort of a friend from the club. So it wasn't really a thing where you're going, well, is this guy for real? Is this going to amount okay. to anything? So, uh, you know, talked to my dad and, and it was like, okay, you're going to, you know, Scotty wants to do this. Great. Let's go do it. Uh, and it was, it was fun from the beginning and then shooting commercials and then off Broadway, Broadway, you know, it was always fun for me. So nobody had to push me to do it. How neat is this? 
you know, so, I, 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 I say it this way. Uh, we all had Sony Walkmans as kids. And <laughs> my Sony Walkman was filled with different things than anybody else's. Because, you know, I was, you know, an 80s baby. So, you know, you could say, oh, it was disco or it was rock or whatever. Whereas my Walkman, I recorded movies. So I had History of the World, Blazing Saddles, uh, Abin Costello, B. Frankenstein, Airplane. Uh, oh, God. Uh, the Jolson Story, which was about Al Jolson, a musical. Mm-hmm. I had Yankee Little Dandy. And any given day, I'd listen to anything. So I was already, you know... Uh, sort of consumed with the entertainment industry, even though I wasn't even a part of it. And then once I became a part of it in the commercials, it just was very smooth. Interesting. So let me, let me ask you, so going from commercials and then into film and then to theater, it's very different doing all of those three. It was pretty smooth for you though. Uh, More or less, you know, I mean, I, I, did a lot of commercials, you're, it's dialogue and you say exactly what's on the paper, okay, fine. Then I did off-Broadway, same thing. Broadway, same thing. Then going into film, uh, I was with, you know, fortunate enough to be with two guys who read a script once, kind of knew what the scenes were, and then said whatever they wanted. You know, uh, <laughs> so the, the script supervisor has to keep notes because you want to make sure all the dialogue matches and all the different shots. And Richard Pryor and Jackie Gleason drove her bananas, you know, because, you know, they would literally be going to a take and going, okay, this is what you said last time. Please do the same thing. So uh, for me, the very beginnings of it, the first day of shooting threw me for a complete loop. You know, I had no idea what the hell I was doing. And then once I sort of caught on, um, Richard Pryor talked to me, you know, and kind of gave me some pointers. He was my guru, my mentor. Uh, it made it a lot easier to then do film. And then I did TV episodics and, you know, that was like nothing compared to the four months I spent with Gleason and Pryor, you know, oh, even, wow. even Christmas story um, in, in the script flick only has 16 lines. That's all that's actually written in the script and like the tongue and the flagpole scene, all the script says is flick sticks tongue to pole. That's it. That's all that's there. There's no dialogue. And uh, that is nothing. something that has sticked, it has stuck with Americans. I mean, anybody who's ever seen the film, that sticks. Period. Yeah. Uh, having a experienced director in Bob Clark. He knew I could do anything because he saw the toy already. So he knew I could handle myself with Pryor and Gleason and timing kind of comedy stuff. And he was just like, listen, just run with it. Whatever you do, let's see what you do. If I like it, I like it. If I don't, I don't. And uh, we did different versions of what the final outcome is. But it was more or less stuff that I had just come up with right there. How fun. What do you think was the most fun or memorable film that you've been involved with? Oh, the, uh, there's two ways to put that. You know, you say memorable. Christmas Story is the iconic film. It's the film everybody loves and or most people love anyway. Uh, whereas for me personally, uh, for different reasons, you know, uh, the toy, 
because I got to have that time, the four months with Richard Fryer, Jackie Gleason, Ned Beatty, Richard Donner, Ray Stark, you know, some, some icons and legends of a film. Um, and then doing the other film, the other big film I did at the time called Kid Co, which I was the star of the lead. I'm in 98% of the film. Uh, it truly gave me an overall sense of confidence that I came off of doing the toy. And when I started doing Kid Co, uh, I, I basically turned into Godzilla because I was just doing everything. Literally, there wasn't anything that I wasn't doing uh, outside of directing, you know, setting up shots, being prepared, knowing everybody's dialogue. Okay, let's go move it along. We got to get done here. Uh, the, the producers thought I was crazy. You know, uh, David Niven Jr. Jr. and Frankie Blondes were our producers. Multiple decades of experience. I did one movie. And I'm like, okay, let's do this. They're like, okay. So for me personally, as an experience, that one uh, stands kind of on its own for that reason and the toy for these other reasons. Very Christmas Story is like the third one. Everybody says, oh my God, didn't you have so much fun? And I'm like, no, because it's 25 degrees below zero. Oh, yes. You know, we shot in Canada. So any given day, it was... 22 below, 23 below, 25 below. We're shooting out there for 11 and a half, 12 and a half hours uh, <coughs> shooting the scene. Uh-huh. That's not fun. You I know? People don't realize how long one scene is or how long an actor is on the set on any given day. Yeah, and they uh, long days. Oh, they're, very, they're, they're extremely long days. The, I was always explained for every page of dialogue, every page of the script is one day of shooting. Mm-hmm. So if you have a you know 95-page script, you're going to shoot for 95 days. Well, that makes that's, sense. That's, that's the way that they break it down. Mm-hmm. It, it does make sense. You've got to get the angles and the lighting, and you never know if there's going to be – um, you know, take one, take two, if someone's going to err and, you know, the, there's just so many factors that come into play when it, when film day happens. And so I think that's really interesting. So I want to talk too about your, you've got this baseball trading experience going. And I wanted to share a little bit about that too, because a lot of times we tend to look at the stars and we we forget that they have hobbies and personal lives and a lot of other talents outside of their acting career and you do well yeah i mean you know i was a your typical kid from jersey i love sports uh i started collecting sports cards baseball football whatever uh when i was like seven eight years old uh then having done the films coming to california meeting people uh, was buying more stuff because, of course, you know, you do movies, you have some money, and you buy stuff. Sure. Uh, but then uh, going to the National Sports Convention every year for a while, and then I started meeting people in the companies themselves, and uh, I was I, I kept seeing the same things over and over and over again, whether it was Derek Jeter or Dan Marino or Brett Favre or Barry Bonds hey. or whomever. And I said, why don't they do this with celebrities? 
you know, do something that's different. Uh, you know, same sort of concept, but just based around the entertainment business. Mm-hmm. And uh, the first thing I did was I went to a company called Upper Deck and they stuck in some celebrities into a product called them the Spectrum of Stars back in 07. Uh, and then I was asked by a company called Panini to talk to them about it or Donruss, <clears throat> excuse me, Donruss, I should say at the time. Uh, and I, I proposed a line of just cards, the whole thing being entertainers, celebrities, and they'll do autographs and pieces of their shirts and relics and all that. Uh, and we created a line called Americana, you know, which had three or four different releases. And then we did one called Celebrity Cuts, which was kind of an offshoot of that. Um, but, but everything in the product, uh, not the actual cards themselves, not the photos that were there in the design, but like the autographs. There were some done blue, red, green, black, you know, so there were different print runs. So the secondary market, you know, could be, it could be improved because if you get one that's signed in green, there's only 10 of them. If you got one in blue, there was 20 of them or whatever it was. Red was always the one of one, which was the big one. Um, But having met a lot of celebrities along the journey and doing a lot of, you know, autograph shows and appearances, I mean, it was great. Hey, little girl, stop that. See, she's, she's wants to talk. Um, you know, Larry Hagman, Barbara Eden, um, oh God, um, Anthony Michael Hall, who I went to high school with, um, Linda Blair, it was just, it was great to call them and go, Hey, I'm coming over and I'm bringing you a check with some stuff you're going to sign and you make money after lunch. It worked. And, uh, so it became kind of its own, grew legs and it, it was, it was a lot of fun to do it. That sounds like a lot of fun. Yeah, I mean, you go on, you know, eBay, let's just say, and look up, you know, 2008, 2009, uh, Americana autographs or whatever, and you'll see all the cards. And, you know, about 90, 80% of the the, the autograph signings I did, you know, Ed O'Neill and Christina Applegate and Katie Seagal and tons of people. Uh Uh-huh. And you're still doing this, though, aren't you? Once in a while, once in a while, there's another uh, company that does it now called uh, Leaf, and they do a, a set called Pop Century every year, and I get some stuff for them. I mean, they have other people that gets them autographs and signatures as well, but okay. yeah, I'm still out there, and I still do it, and it's great because, again, you get to go and see somebody that you know and you're friendly with, and you get to bring the money, and everybody likes that. Yes, they do. <laughs> You've got a lot going on, and then you have some other things coming up down the road that we definitely want the audience to stay tuned for. And I, I'm really excited, too, about a lot of other things that you have done, but I, I really am going to leave the audience with a little bit of anticipation because I'm going to bring you back on the show to launch something that you've got coming here down the pipeline. And it is something big, and I'm very excited to share that down the road. I will be too. mm -hmm, I I am, but I do want you to also share a little bit about a little, a little individual that you take with you to different places sometimes that sure garners a lot of attention. 
and I just can't leave her out. Oh, the baby girl. Yeah. Oh, I have my, uh, her name is Miss Elizabeth. She's a mini teacup chihuahua. She is just an absolute lover of, of people. Um, and I'm a lover of doggies. I have four. Uh, give to the ASPCA, you know, every month I do the whole thing, you know. Um, and uh, I, they're, they're calming, they're peace. They're 24-7 they're love bunnies. They just, you know, they, they know when you feel good. They know when you feel bad, you know. And uh, they're, they're just wonderful. And then my little girl, she's great. I'm, she's, she's, she's getting closer. I would love if she would just come over. You know, hold on. Here we go. Yeah. Here is the baby girl. There she is. This is Miss Elizabeth. Well, hello. She actually has her own Facebook page. It's Miss Elizabeth's Adventures. You have got to check this out. If you have not started following anything yet, you've got to follow Miss Elizabeth's Adventures because... Oh, Scott, you take her to so many different places, and I've got to tell you, she is arm candy for you. You know, she's three and a half pounds, so she's very easy. She doesn't bark. She doesn't bite. She doesn't get excited. Um, so going through the airports, airplanes, I never have a problem because she doesn't open her mouth. It's wonderful. You know, she's it a different kind of dog. You can't do it. <laughs> yeah, there are some dogs that, um, and I am a dog lover, but there are some dogs that um, you can't take with you to different places because there are restrictions based on certain behaviors. And mm -hmm. yes, you can't take them with you. I, I certainly know that. But I've got to tell you, I am really excited. I am so excited, but I'm going to leave the mystery um, about what you've got coming down the pipeline because I'm going to have you and invite you personally again back to the show. I want to thank you so much for being here and sharing your time with us today. No, you're welcome. It was, this was easy. Sometimes these are like an hour. This was like nothing. Oh, you gotta be kidding me. No, I, I am so excited about the things that you've got going on and I want the audience to really, you know, get a chance to know you and just get, get connected with the, the person that you are. You are an incredible man that has a lot of different things in an array of a background. I mean, you've got your commercials, you've got theater, you've got, I mean, off Broadway, you've got film. Well, yeah. and, you know, I mean, and then you things that, But those are things that I did that's not necessarily who I am. You know, um, you know I, I have always said, you know, bring a smile to somebody each day. You know, uh, yes. be good. Be good to fellow man. I don't care race, creed, color. It doesn't make any difference. You know, um, you know. I, I was brought up Jewish, and we've always believed in be good, be kind. You know, uh, which is just something that I've I've always been that way uh, throughout all of my relationships. You know, when when I say like Richard Pryor is my family, I just don't say that, and it's just like yeah, whatever. No. You know, right. he was, you know, the black dad I never had, you know, Rain Pryor, his daughter is my sister. I mean, his, his son, actually, Richard Pryor Jr. had a birthday yesterday. Yeah. You know, and I said, happy birthday, bro, from your, bro your brother from another mother. You know, <laughs> um, you guys are family, you know, family. You're he, tight. Yeah, but 
you know, we live in, in a certain era right now where there's so much anxiety, so much nonsense and baloney and, uh, I use the word hatred, but it, it, and and it's like, I don't like to use that word, but it's really over stupid things that we, none of us can control. You know, I hate this person because they believe this, or I hate this. It's like, it's ridiculous. If they're a good person in their heart and they're a good person to you, you'd be a good person to them. Yes. I agree with you a hundred percent. When you and I were growing up, None, none of those things mattered. We could all play in the sandbox together. We'd go out on the playground and we just did our thing. And even growing up, it was like that, even through the high school years. I mean, there was not an issue. And it seems like what we're seeing right now is people are being pitted amongst each other and against each other over, like you said, issues that are really shouldn't be issues. And I'm with you on this. Really, I love we're in a different day and age where social media has certain impacts on people. The 24 seven, you know, news organizations, it doesn't make any difference if it's MSNBC, CNN, you know, Fox, whoever it is. Um, you know, they all kind of have their own agendas and their own ways that they say things. And, you know, we grew up with Cronkite, you know, Walter Conkright, uh, Walter Conkright, Dan Rather, you know, those were the two big guys and they laid everything out there. They didn't angle it either way. They just kind of laid it out there and they let you make the decision for yourself. Now what's happening with, with all of the media is they angle it and you have to think like they think. If you don't think like they think, then you're not a good person. And that's not, that's not how we were supposed to be. We're supposed to be a free thinking, free society. You make yeah. up your own mind. Tell me, okay, A happened, B happened, C happened. You leave it at that. Let people think what they want to think and come to their own conclusions. Instead, now it's, you know, oh, this happened because of this and because of that. And we're not sure of this. And they're like, wait a minute. You know, this person just said this. I just heard them say this. Now, why did you change what they just said? You know, a lot of that's happening and it's not good for society. It it really isn't as a whole, you know, um, there are, there are things that have happened in the last, you know, 15 years, you know, that has changed uh, show business, Hollywood, however you want to put it, you know, reality television became the thing. Um, And it's like those people really aren't stars, you know, they are PR manufactured celebrities. They have no talent other than being themselves. You know, you're never going to see a reality star getting an Academy Award for Best Supporting Actor. It's not going to happen. That's a good point. Um, and the more, the more money you make is the more you're seen because you have, you can pay another PR person another five or 10,000 a month to get me on every single website that exists of nonsense. You know, we, we, we have lost the vision that we had of being a appreciative society of things that we have, you know, I mean, there, there are people that have been, there are elected officials and they're saying things and I sit here and I, I, I put my hand in my lap so many times and I want to explode and I just don't do it because, 
you know, I don't feel at the moment um, as if what I, no matter what I say, I'm going to be wrong in some people's eyes. Even though it's just my opinion, I'm still going to be wrong in their eyes. And I'd, I'd rather not do that. You know, I'd rather just say, hey, it is what it is. You make your decisions, you live by them, and we see what happens. You know, we, we also live in the instant gratification. Yes. Society, you know, you know, of, of uh, you know, it's got to happen now. Whatever's happening, it's got to happen right now. You know, it's, and, and it's got to make me happy because if it doesn't make me happy, then that's not good either. Uh, patience. We've lost patience as a society. Oh, you, know, you hit something so right on the There's movie. so many things as people, as Americans, that we always had. Uh, we, we just, they're just gone. We just don't have that stuff anymore, you know. And, and people want to know where it is. I mean, when they say the good old days or make America great again or whatever it is, it's, it's not the big things. It's the little things, you know, that made this country what it was. And if you lose them, if you lose your right to speak, that's our First Amendment. Yeah. That's, that's what the forefathers thought so much of. It's number one, you know. Um, you know, and number two is, you know, the right to bear arms. Now. I'm not left. I'm not right. I'm at the middle. Do I think anybody should have machine guns? No. You know, AK-47s and AR-15s. No, I don't think that either. You know, but again, the forefathers thought it was so important. It's number two. So I mean, these are things that when it's expressed in political terms, people get all excited. Nobody will just say in basic English, Okay, gang, when they wrote this, they had a two-shot rifle and a four-shot hand, you know, pistol. They didn't have machine guns. Let's just get to something that works for both. That's acceptable. Okay, fine. We've had guns for hundreds of years, and we've had things happen over the last 20 that are totally unacceptable, and there's total other reasons for that, which I don't need to go into now. But Sure. You know, I, I, I think I, I think us as a society, we need to understand. We wake up every day if we can walk and talk and eat and drive and you know go to school if you're you know still in school. Accept those things and love those things because tomorrow is not a given. You know we may think that, you know, but I mean right. I've seen it. Um, you know, I mean I just hit fifty but I've been losing friends since my thirties, people that I loved and cared about and they're gone already. And you've seen a lot of that in the entertainment industry with a number of different things over the course of the years. We see it in life. I mean, again, the entertainment industry is one thing. Yes. You know, Richard Pryor and Jackie Gleason and Wilfred Hyde White from the toy and, you know, Bob Clark, the director of kid uh, of Christmas story and Darren McGavin from Christmas Story, they're gone. These are people I worked with that I cared for. But then there are people that nobody knows except my friends and family or whatever that they're gone. You know, so um, you know, Corey Haim wasn't even 38 when he passed. He was my little brother. He wasn't really my little brother, but I knew him for 20 years. Okay, well, and, let's start uh, right there, though, because you were just talking about those that are not immediate family, though, outside being part of your family. And... You were so close to them that you even helped 
with memorabilia in reference to him in helping with that in support uh, of the family. They, when, when Corey Haim passed away, they didn't have money really for what they needed to do. They were, uh, his mom and he were living in LA. He was from Toronto. Uh, you know, the other members of the family were up there. So it was flying the body up there, you know, doing the, the, that thing. And then the funeral home and all of the things you need to do for all of that. And the cost was tremendous. It was like $20,000. Um, and uh, having done eBay and memorabilia sales and all that, uh, I took most everything from uh, his mom with her acceptance. Of course, she was going to throw stuff out. She did just stuff, you know, shirts and hats and, and shoes and albums and his keyboard and whatever. Uh, she was going to donate some stuff to, you know, the homeless and, you know, everything else was going to go in the garbage. And instead I took it, I put it on eBay and, and sold it basically to the fans to help pay for his funeral. Sure. That was, that was my, what they call a mitzvah, doing a good thing. So that was my mitzvah doing that. I didn't take 10 cents. I didn't want money out of it. I did it for his family. Um, Your family. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you, you do things for certain people that you care for, you love, you, you, uh, your close, intimate circles, friends, whatever, you know, you do things and uh, without thought. It wasn't like, you know, geez, should I really do this? No, that wasn't even, you know, it was just, you're in need, I can provide, let me help you. Okay, fine, here we go. You know, they, I, I, and I wasn't worried about blowback, feedback, somebody going, oh my God, you're disgusting, do it. I didn't, I didn't even think of those things, let alone worry about them. It was like, what are they going to say? You know, oh my God, you're disgusting. You're selling this stuff. Well, they need money to, 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 for a funeral. What, where do you go from there? Well, you're talking about commitment and loyalty to somebody that you love. And like we were talking about earlier, the immediate gratification and kind of disposable society that we live in. Well, this we, is so we are in a... I'm in a, we're in a strange town in, ho, in the Hollywood area. Hollywood as a whole is here today, gone tomorrow. Say this today, it's gone tomorrow. Um, when, when Corey passed, there were many who had something to say. Oh my God, we'll miss you. We love you. Okay. And there were many, and there were many I, I want to say many, there were several. Okay. More than three, less than eight that were just overly upset. Oh my God, I can't believe and et cetera, et cetera. And nobody lifted a finger and they were financially extremely well off. And it's like, really, if you're going to put yourself out there, if you're going to talk the talk, walk the walk. Yes. And, and nobody did. Nobody did anything. You know, and uh, it was disappointing. It, and I mean, this is coming from me, and I wasn't them. And I was upset and disappointed in people that I knew knew him, that I knew had the means by far. Yes. Say, hey, what do you need? You need a thousand? You need five thousand? 
Tell me what you need. You do to help, period, right? You, you do you something. step up in some way. Yes. If, you're, if you are that, I mean, connected and you care that much, then step up somehow to, um, you know, to honor his memory, period. Like I said, if you're going to talk the talk, walk the walk. I am and with you on this. And, I'll, you know, this, I... This, this group is so used to, I'm a celebrity. I just need to show up somewhere and that's all I need to do. And I actually, I go through this several times a year when I go to different charity golf outings, you know, okay. I get invited and so forth. I am one of those people that I want to carry my own weight. So when sure. I go, I will bring stuff. You know, I'll bring a leg lamp signed by guys from Christmas Story or a BB gun, or I'll bring a post or something, you know, some photos that they can auction off because it costs them for me to be there. They have to pay for my golf. They pay for the food. Okay. I don't want them to have that, you know, expenditure. So I bring stuff that they're going to auction off. So it more than covers me being there. And that makes me feel good inside. I don't want to be a burden or be an expense. I'd rather be a contributor. Yes. Now I've seen it. Many people show up with nothing. They just show up because their appearance is something. And I'm like, no, that's nice. Thanks for coming, but do something, you know? And I mean, if, it, if an eight by 10 photo costs a dollar, Print up five of them, sign five of them, yes. cover your golf. Yes. You know, so you, so you spent $5. Okay. You know, instead they just show up with their golf clubs. It's so interesting how lacking of contributions, contributing members of society that we have, people are expecting to not put forth a lot of effort but they're expecting big returns on a lot of things, mm -hmm. a lot of areas of their lives. And unfortunately we're seeing so much of that right now. A, it's kind of scary in some respects because I don't know, you and I were both, both brought up that way. Like if you were invited to a party, you bring something. Of course. I mean, it's just, you're going to a party. Okay. Do you have dessert? Can I bring a chocolate mousse pie? Oh no, you got right. dessert covered. Okay. Do you want me to stop and get some egg rolls? I mean, something, yes. you know, I was never a big uh, drinker in, you know, ever. So it's like people say, oh, well, pick up a, a wine. And I'm like, okay, now I'm stuck because I wouldn't know a good wine from a bad wine other than some are 10 bucks a bottle and some are 30 bucks a bottle. That would be my, I would know. Uh, it, we live in a scary place because a lot of people want a lot of things for nothing. They don't want to give. They don't want to do anything. They, they, they don't want to work for what they get. You know, I mean, it's the free things, the free stuff. It's like, you know, I've put in 42 years, you know, as an actor. It's like if I show up someplace, I still do my job. You know, I'm prepared. And I've seen other people that show up and they're not prepared. You know, um, it doesn't. And I don't want to say it the wrong way. Does it command a certain amount of respect? Maybe a little. I understand. 
but it certainly doesn't mean that the guy that's done, you know, one commercial and he works as a waiter and he gets on a set with me and he's disrespectful, you know, that doesn't work for me. You know, I'll actually, actually, I'm going to share an experience I had. I won't say who the person was. It was a rapper. Okay. It was, it was a rapper. And we were in Utah doing a film and he was going to be there for one whole day, just one day of shooting. The first thing, which was hysterical, is it's two hours from Los Angeles to Salt Lake City. Okay. He had to fly first class. Now, Burbank to uh, Salt Lake City, there was no first class on American. So he actually had to be chauffeured, couldn't drive his own car now, had to be chauffeured to LAX to catch the first class to Salt Lake City. Okay. He was supposed to be on the set at 10.30 in the morning. From what I understand, he got in at like 7 o'clock the night before. And, of course, then he went out to dinner, and then he went out and partied, and he went to the club, and then he did the spiel. And uh, <clears throat> my call time was 8 o'clock. I'm on time. Everything's fine. We get our things done. Come 10.30, he's supposed to be there. He's not there. The guy can't get, the guy can't get him out of his room. The guy that was going to pick him up. So 10.30 became 11.30, which became 12 o'clock. Now, we, we could only shoot until 7 o'clock at night. The place had to be empty by 7 because they were actually a club and they had to open at 8. So the guy gets to the set finally about 12.30. He's two hours late. He's only there one day. He then goes into what they, his mock dressing room. Now, he should have been there 10 to 15 minutes. You get in there, you put on the shirt you're going to wear, you get your makeup, yeah. brush the hair, and you come downstairs, and that's it. 15 minutes turns into 30 minutes, turns into 45 minutes. We're at almost an hour. So now it's almost 1.30 in the afternoon, and we're sitting there, and we can't do anything. It's his stuff. We've shot everything else, and I'm only an actor now. The, produ- the, the producer-director guy, it's his first movie. And <clears throat> I sat there, and I said, do you want me to fix this? Because he couldn't say anything. He didn't know what to do. I understand. Okay, I'm following here. And he goes, and he looks at me and he goes, well, what are you going to do? I said, I'll take care of this. Don't worry about it. You know, it's, yeah. it's this age of entitlement that the younger generation seems to have, you know, no, and let me rephrase that. No, they have it that we didn't have, you know, we didn't have iPods and iPads and iPhones and all this crap by the time we were eight years old. You know, I I had an Atari 2600. No, I had, I had an Atari 2600 for like two weeks. And my buddy who lived two doors down, Brian, he wanted it. And uh, I ended up getting a ColecoVision because I bought it with my own money. I was doing commercials and stuff. And then I ended up getting a Mattel and television because they gave it to me when I was doing the toy. Very nice. Things, but it didn't encompass my whole life. I didn't just sit home and play games. We actually went out and played with our friends. You know, football, baseball, basketball, whatever. We were out uh, on the street in our bicycles, and we didn't come home until it was getting dark. Absolutely. I mean, no, video games were fine and dandy, but they were not all-consuming. No, yeah, but again, it's the social media, and yeah. it's the fact that every kid above the age of like seven or eight years old now, they have an iPhone. They have a smartphone and they're going to sit there and they're going to play their games and they're going to text their friends and they're going to, me personally, if they say, you know, you're going to be president of the United States for a day, give me some of the things that you would do. 
Nope. Middle school and under, eighth grade and under, no phones, period. You come in the morning, if you have a phone, it goes in your locker. When you're ready to go home for the day, you go get your phone. No, you don't need to have your phone while you're in, while you're in math, oh, science, true. social studies, gym. No. Yeah, that's so true. What do you need it for? You know, people say, oh, well, what happens if something happens? Trust me, all the parents will know if something happens, you know. Um, oh, that's, that's true. That's just one of the small things. You know, I mean, there is, it's, I said this to somebody, I said, give me the biggest selling book of all time. And of course they go, well, it's the Bible. And I go, yes, I understand that. But the biggest series of books was the Encyclopedia Britannica. We yes. all had one. Because if we oh. needed to look up something, we went and looked in the volume and we found it. Now, okay, sit at a keyboard. I have got to stop you right there because this is, when you Encyclopedia Britannica, I just have to take, us back for a minute because for anybody that's watching who doesn't know what this is it's a set of, <laughs> it's a set <laughs> it's a set of different volumes that is basically what the worldwide wide web of wikipedia is now that tells you what everything is and your parents would pay thousands of dollars to get these books to have in your home so that you could be educated. And you know, they're like 1800 bucks. And here's the thing. Here's the thing. People are now donating them. Our parents paid thousands for these yep. books to educate us. And they're now being donated to. It was funny. You, you, knew, you, knew, you knew somebody's financial well-being almost yes. by which set they had. Because yes. the, the one set was like, I think it was eight or ten volumes. That was the small one, and it would it would almost it would have everything, but the paragraphs would be smaller, and there would be less information about whatever the subject, the topic or subject was. Then you had the middle ones, which were like fourteen, so you know that was more of a middle class. Then you had the ones that were twenty six volumes, A B C D all the way to Z, and one volume for every letter in the alphabet. With the gold, the gold on the edges. Yes, of the gold edge, yes. Yes, yes. Those were like $800 to $1,200 a set with something like that. But that's how we were educated. You wanted to know something. You actually had to go work. You had to go look it up. You couldn't just sit on your phone and go, yeah, uh, Google, tell me this. Yes. That, has, that is disastrous for... Yes. For the human brain, even, you want somebody to have to do something to get the result of the information they want. So they actually become invested in it as opposed to, yeah, tell me this. Doesn't work. You're saying something that's so important there, and that is investing in something. And I, I know that we're coming up pretty close to the top of the hour. So I want to share something really key that you've said with our audience is that it, and that is that if you really want to be successful in whatever it is that you're doing, you need to invest in yourself and your time and be loyal and pay attention to some of the things that Scott has shared with you today that really will carry you into becoming 
successful in whatever it is that you want to do. There's a lot of really, really deep things that he has shared with you that our, our main social context of society is not doing right now. And we've lost a lot of values in that. These are really, really important things. I, I really, gosh, I, it's kind of like we've got to go back and, and go over some of the things that we've talked about. Just rewind, 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 because there's so many things that are just pertinent in, in making everyday life changes to make things better. But one of the biggest things that I, I think is really really crucial and that's investing in ourselves and I don't think we do that because in society now because it's a we're going to do it now everything is right now right now right now what can I get and when can I go and that is not really what's going to be beneficial to you there's also doing things good for others you know not everything is always about you or about me or you know the one the, that one individual you know uh you do things for the good of man you do things for the good of animals you know we are yeah. kinder to our animals over you know for the most part than we are to our neighbors or our common man you know we we don't give the benefit of the doubt as we used to now it's guilty as charged before you're ever charged you know oh somebody said this oh you must have done it yeah, that's you know, um, you know, there's nobody who's perfect. I'm not perfect. Nobody's perfect. You know, I've been to jail. No, I've never been to jail, you know. Um, but, you know, be kind, understand, you know, not everybody is the same and that's okay. You yeah. know, that's, that's the way we are. We're not all supposed to be the same. You know, there is, we don't have the perfect society. Nobody does. You want the perfect society? Watch Demolition Man with uh, Stallone and they have the perfect society where nobody smokes and nobody drinks and nobody eats all kinds of foods that we eat. No, they eat Taco Bell. I mean, you know, come on. Um, be, understand, because I know we're coming. I know we're coming close to the end. But I, I said it before, though. Tomorrow is not a given. Appreciate today. Tell the people you care about hello, I love you, whatever it is, you know, because the days that you don't and then the things that happen, sometimes we wonder why and maybe we should have, you know, and those are tougher things to kind of have to keep with you, you know, throughout, you know, your life, however long it is. That is true. I I like what you said, though, but Bringing all of those different things and allowing people to be different, like you said, because we aren't perfect, brings a lot of balance and it allows us to see things from different angles. And, oh gosh, this has just been so refreshing. I'm so glad that you were here today and that I've had a chance to talk to you yet again. And also, oh my gosh, that the audience has had an opportunity to get to know you a little bit too and still... um, drum roll too. You've got some things coming down the pipeline and I'm super excited about that as well. And mom's the word for a while, but, but thank you so much for being here with me. And thank you. You are wonderful.